0: All right, I do all right, Ken. Got the announcements covered. So with that, we will have a sermon. I've been in a sermon series where we've been looking at a lot of the parables of Jesus and just kind of doing like a Jesus unplugged, trying to to, to take a look closely at some of the stories that he told. And the first one that we're going to be looking at today is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. But before that, I want to just share a little story that some of you, if you've known me a long time, have probably heard this. But 15 years ago or so, I lived in China, and I was a student there for three years out in the, the western part. And where I lived, when you moved into an apartment, most of the times that apartment came like completely unfinished. right? So like there was no flooring. It would just have like a cement that there were no doors on any of the rooms, usually no door frames. There were no cabinets in the kitchen. So like when you got it, it was a shell and you had to be the one to fix it up. And if you'd fixed up an apartment or if it was an older one and you moved, you would literally like pack up as much of the flooring as you could, even usually the kitchen cabinets. Like everything you could bring with you, you brought with you if it would fit right in the new place. So the apartment that I got was this completely empty shell and it also had unfinished walls, and the, the walls had this like, chalk-like substance. It was really, really fine. It was about a half-inch thick. And so you couldn't paint it on your own without hiring somebody to come and, and sand it and treat it who knew like, kind of how to handle those. So I asked around with some of my local Chinese friends, of like, okay, how do, I, how do I go about this? And they were like, oh, you just need to go down to this one part of town. That's where all the like, construction workers and day laborers are. And you just go, and you bargain, and you, you hire people. So that's what I did. I went down and I found that there's like a little, a couple of intersections right behind the largest mosque in town, the Dongguan Mosque, which is actually the largest in all of Central Asia, I think. And there were a couple of, of intersections and people would go and hang out early in the morning, hoping to get work for the entire day. So you could just go and tell people, here's what I need, here's what I'll pay you. They show up. Um, and so that's how I got my wall sanded. And so this is the picture that I have in mind when I read Jesus's story about the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. Now before, I did give you all of the the scripture there, but before we even dive into that, I think it's helpful to have a little bit of context of why this story was told. So you know, in the gospels, the chapters were added later, right? So it's a little bit arbitrary. It's all one long story. And so it's helpful to see like, okay, what came before this? What was Jesus actually addressing? And so the context is this. So that one day, there was a rich young man who approached Jesus, and he was asking him about getting into the kingdom of heaven. Right? And he's just like, okay, what, what must I do to be part of God's kingdom? And so by kingdom of heaven, this rich man didn't mean what we might think of. He didn't mean like, okay, how do I go to heaven when I die? Tell me that. That wouldn't have been a Jewish understanding of like what God's kingdom is. He was asking something more like, How can I be part of what God is doing here and now? Like, what does it mean to be part of God's good realm here on earth? According to you, Rabbi Jesus, how do I participate in that? And so Jesus looks at him. If you know the story, it's this one that you're like, ah, we know this, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. And this man, of course, his face falls and he walks away disappointed. As many of us would, like that is really hard. He said he had a lot of stuff. And he's like, I can't do that. And so Jesus turns to his followers and he says, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So then, of course, the disciples, like probably many of us, start to wonder, like, well, then who can possibly be part of anything that Jesus is teaching about if God's standards are so incredibly high? Plus, I think they're wrestling a little bit with what Jesus said to that man, because it didn't entirely add up with what they were seeing, because many of Jesus' followers, um, both in that time and then later in the early church, had money, right? Like you had like the wealthy businesswoman, Lydia, in the book of Acts, and Jesus, we know, had patrons of his ministry. We know Judas was the one who kind of collected the money of the people who were supporting Jesus' ministry. And so there's this disconnect for his followers. It seems like there was something about like that particular rich man's inability to like hold his stuff loosely and embrace generosity that Jesus was just pinpointing in his character. And so Peter being, you know, the the wily disciple that he was, he says, well, we've given up everything to follow you. So like, what's in it for us? And Jesus says, well, you'll be honored by God. (laughs) Poor Peter. (laughs) And that's when Jesus tells this story. And it's usually the the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. You can follow along. I'll be be pausing between to, to preach through it. Jesus started by saying, the good realm of God, or the kingdom of God, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then sent them into the vineyard. So we'll pause right there, and we just notice a couple of things right off. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, the good realm of God is like people who give everything away. Right? And he didn't say, the good realm of God is like the poor. He starts by saying, the good realm of God is like a landowner. You see, that's a little bit of an interesting twist. It's like a rich person. Or more literally, a householder, somebody who had money and an established home. And this householder went to hire workers for his vineyard in a manner that I think was probably a lot like what I did in China, right? There was probably a part of town where the laborers just went and hung out waiting to be hired for the day. And it says that the the landlord and the laborers came to an agreement on the price and the price they agreed upon was a denarius. Now, Brad H. Young, who's a scholar of the New Testament who's often looking at like the Jewish context of of the New Testament, he notes that a denarius would have been worth about an average day's wage for labor. And he said, it's, it's a fair wage that was not extravagant, but would have fed a family for a few days. Right? The, a man can live on it. So, as Jesus goes on, about nine in the morning, the landlord went out, and he saw other workers standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. And then he went out again at noon, and he went out at about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. And then at five in the afternoon, he went out and he found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they said. And he said, you also go work in my vineyard. Right? So we've got the, the landlord going and checking in at this place where the laborers would hang out. And he was doing it every three hours. Which makes some sense for those of you who have like, prayed the divine hours or remember some of the study on that that in the Roman world, the bells would ring, kind of like timekeeping bells, at about 6 a.m., 9, noon, 3, and then 6. And so, it seems like this landlord is going out, probably hired people at 6 a.m., and then was going out whenever the bells rang to go and check and see if there were others there. And then when his words are translated as he's talking to these laborers, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? It can make it sound like he's like accusing the men of just sort of idling around, right? And being a little bit lazy. But Amy Jill Levine, who's a a Jewish scholar of the New Testament, she said that Greek there is a little bit more like without work. So it's a little bit more like asking, why have you been standing here all day without work? And in that way, it's a little bit more of like a remark of surprise, right? Not one of rebuke. It's like, wow, nobody's hired you yet. Okay, well, come on, come to my field, I'll hire you. So the workers later in the day, they don't bargain with the landlord to come to a payment agreement. And it's probably assumed that if you haven't found good work by the afternoon, you'll just kind of take whatever you can get, right? So they go ahead and go. And Jesus goes on. It says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then moving to the first. And the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each of them received a denarius, right? We know that's what the landlord agreed to pay the people who were hired early in the morning, probably around 6. And here were these men at 5 o'clock, getting great pay. It says, so when those who came who were hired first, they then expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. So those who were hired last, they only worked one hour, you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Right? And the heat of the day is no small thing. Right? Picking grapes is hard work. The heat is really tiring. I know I mowed the lawn in the 90 degree weather yesterday, right? That's exhausting. It says, but the landlord or landowner answered one of them, he says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And then that's how Jesus leaves the story. Right? And the American in me like hates this story. Right? If you've ever felt like you were not paid fairly, you probably hate this story too. I would say most women and minorities can very much relate to this. Some of you who are white men can relate to this as well. Felt exploited by a system. It's not a good feeling. But I think um, if we give this a little more historical context, we can maybe better see the point that Jesus is trying to make, or at least I'll I'll offer this as like a suggested interpretation. Just before Jesus was born, King Herod started one of the great building projects of the age. So we know King Herod, right? He's like the big bad of the, the Christmas story. And he starts one of the biggest construction projects, which was rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, right? That was knocked down a few decades later by the Romans. But even today, you can see like the layout and the expansiveness in a lot of the old city, the eastern part of the old city of Jerusalem. It's a really big project. By some archeological accounts, that temple wasn't actually finished until Jesus was 20, 25 years old. So this means the stories that we have of him going to the temple with his family when he was 12, there's probably construction going on in different parts of that complex. So Josephus, who's a Jewish historian at that time, he recorded that that construction project in Jerusalem employed 18,000 workers, right? It was that big, 18,000 construction workers, and when it was complete, all of those construction workers were out of work. You know, being a carpenter, I think Jesus may well have known some of them personally, or at least, like, related to the work that they were doing and the plight that they had. There were a lot of unemployed and underemployed day laborers in Jerusalem in his day. And so Josephus also said that if any of them did work, even for an hour, they did receive a day's pay. So this idea that Jesus is throwing out there in his story, it's not completely out of the blue. It had context. And Jesus seems to be referencing and affirming this sort of grassroots system that was actually taking place in his time. And we know that Judaism is deeply concerned for the poor and for the outsiders, as well as for the social good, right, for the well-being of the entire community, And the focus is less on individual faith. It's more of like a communal faith and communal good. And so with this story, I think Jesus seems to be blessing that stream of his faith um, and the way that parts of his community were just making sure that everybody there had enough. And we can guess that there must have been some tension in the community about this practice, that this story lived on and struck a nerve. And so, I think this is what Jesus seems to be getting at in his story, right? The laborers in the story are more worried about being paid fairly than in whether or not the other workers had enough food for their families. Right? The first men hired, they're not asking, um, they don't want to be treated equally to the last. They want to be treated better than the last. But the workers, what they think is fair is not necessarily right? Right, and so perhaps this is a story that's telling us that God is more interested in justice than fairness. The American culture in me still kind of hates it. Perhaps it's that God is more interested in justice than in fairness. The workers all receive the usual daily wage, plenty to live on, enough to meet their needs. And so despite their grumbling, the only point that those workers who were hired earlier could make about the landowner was that he was being generous to others. And he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And in the landowner saying that, I think we presume that the point is not that those who have should get more, but that those who have not should have enough. And whenever we ignore the question of whether or not other people have enough, we're out of step with God's picture of justice. And that we don't work for reward, like what Peter wanted. He's like, well, I gave everything away, so don't I get more? But we work for the benefit of all, is what I think Jesus is getting at, right? The benefit of all is the just reward. Now, the land loan, uh, owner in this story, it could be representative of God. I often hear it interpreted that way. You know, God's providing enough for everyone and interested in justice for all. It could. It might also have layers of meaning. We might be able to play with it a little bit. And so I think it's interesting to maybe put ourselves in the story of the landowner. And so if that's true, if we're the landowner, what would the story be saying to us? Because it's definitely not a blueprint, right, for like running a company or a small business. Because, you know, if you have a company, if you start paying people the same amount for showing up at four o'clock as the people at eight, you're going to have trouble finding people that are going to show up at 8 a.m. So that's not what he's doing. Amy Jill Levine reminds us, she says, Jesus is neither a Marxist nor a capitalist, he's an idealist and a pragmatist, and his focus is often less directly on good news to the poor than on the responsibility of the rich. And so the point of the story, if you're the landlord, might read more like, hey, if you've got more than enough to eat and to live, do you support practices that allow everyone else to eat as well, even when it doesn't seem fair? And I was thinking, you know, there's kind of a practical application going on right now in our national conversation. Right, I had a lot of undergrad student debt for someone my age. I'm 44. I know that people younger than me have a whole lot more than I did. I didn't make a ton in my 20s and early 30s, and I worked hard, and I lived very leanly, and I paid it off. Right before I met Rachel, actually, I think I was like 36 when I paid it off. Rach has some loans from her grad work, so we're not under it. But like, I paid mine off, when I, so I know that I did it as a single person, I know how hard it is, and it was a heavy burden on me, you know, in my 20s and 30s. And in the last couple of weeks with the student loan forgiveness, like just $10,000, which is not very much, I heard a lot of chatter online about, like, it's not fair to those of us who work to pay ours off. I'm one of those people. Maybe it's not fair, maybe not, but that doesn't mean it's not just. I think this story might challenge us to ask that. You know, student debt is a burden that falls on the young, disproportionately on young black and brown people. And so the question might be, if you have more than enough to eat and to live on, do you support practices that allow everyone else to eat as well, even if it doesn't seem fair? And I think we need to just remember the situation that Jesus was addressing in his story as well, right? He was addressing that rich man who came, and he told him, like, give everything you have to the poor, and the rich man couldn't do it. And I think Jesus was reading that that man didn't care about others having enough, and he was challenging his attitude toward his wealth, his entitlement to it, and then on the other hand, the Apostle Peter is like, hey, I've given up everything. Don't I get more? And Jesus is like, no, you have your reward. Like, neither of you are understanding what I'm saying. Let me tell you a story, right? It's not about being rich or poor that brings about God's good realm. To be part of it, you have to live generously and justly and care for the communal good like the landowner. That makes sense? So with that, we're going to have a, a meditation. I put it on the sheet there as well. And this meditation is a very well-known scripture from the Hebrew scriptures Micah 6:8. Let me read it and then we'll take about a minute of silence and whatever part of it is speaking to you, we'll just let the Holy Spirit um, open your imagination or your mind to anything they might be speaking to you. God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. We'll take about a minute. I'll let you know when that minute's up. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would empower us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. I ask that you would help shape us and shape our faith so that we're not always just focused on what is fair, but on sort of the systemic justice and injustice, and that sometimes what seems fair can get in the way of enacting more just policies. I ask that you would shape us so that we would care deeply about people having enough, that you would shape our faith, that we care about the communal benefit of the people around us as well. ask that you would help us to live generously, that we also would access this good realm of God here in this life, that we're not doing it for reward, and we're also um, not just feeling entitled, and like we, we can't live generously like the rich man Help us to find that space where you're calling or inviting us into that middle where Jesus is saying, just come into this place where your heart is open and where you hold loosely um, to things that you feel entitled to and just see what my spirit is doing. So Lord, teach us to be that. In your name we pray. Amen.